0: Five years ago, I was, I was one of the table hosts for a course that we run here that Nick mentioned called Alpha for people really wanting to explore questions of faith. And I remember on that course, there was a, a guy on our table called James, and he was actually a really super strong atheist, so it made for some really interesting discussion times. By the last week of that Alpha course, it was clear that really nothing had changed in James's mind at all. But for some reason, I asked him if he wanted to carry on meeting up, to carry on the conversation. And to my surprise, he said yes. And so since then, over the last five years, we've been continuing to explore questions of faith together, which for us usually looks like reading like a Bible passage together and having over a good coffee. So over, over that time, James and I, we've really become good friends. And I'm always sort of fascinated by his insights and think usually I learn more than he does every time we meet. But someone might ask the question, you know, is this worth it? Is it worth carrying on meeting James, especially considering he's he's not opened his heart to Jesus or anything like that? Well, there are lots of reasons why I could say yes to that. But in January, January this year, having not caught up for quite a while, I got in touch with James and we agreed to meet the next Wednesday morning. So before I leave home that Wednesday, I'm doing my Bible time in the morning, and I'm sitting down to read this Bible in one year, which has like all the Bible passages, and then it has like space for notes in the margin. And I noticed that on that day, I have made a little note in the margin that I have no recollection of making, and it says this, sense to continue meeting James as he's close to the kingdom. Now I have no idea when I made that note and there's not actually that many notes in this Bible at all but there it was on that day. And of course you could say that's just a coincidence and James himself might say that's the case. But for me it was a sign and a reminder that God is passionately pursuing people. People like James, people like you and me. And the reason is he loves us. He loves us so much and he's desperate for us to know it and then join in by sharing this love with others, others too. Now the experience also reminded me of three well-known stories that Jesus shared. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, which we're going to look at today. And the stories are examples of a type of Jesus teaching called parables, in which he uses really well-known images or pictures to communicate deep spiritual truths about God. And so when we're reading parables, we're meant to ask the question, what do these different things represent? So in each of these three parables, we find a pairing. On the one hand, there's the character that is looking for something, and we'll see in a moment that's a shepherd, a woman, and a father, and they're all representing God. And then on the other hand, we've got the thing that's been lost, and in this case, it's the sheep and the coin and the son. And they're meant to represent humanity from the people who first heard Jesus tell these stories all the way down to us here in this room today. The lostness theme, it also points to something. It points to that spiritual reality all of us experience, the brokenness we feel in our relationship with God through our sin, through our wrongdoing, through our turning away from him. But thankfully in each parable, that's not the end of the story. In fact, the loudest note we see is God's passionate pursuit of each one of us because of his great love. What the Jesus Storybook Bible, the one for kids, calls God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So as we read each parable, we're going to see this love expressed again and again and again, but in three particular ways we're going to look at. First, the value God places on us. Then the search he makes for us. And finally, the joy he has in finding us. So first, let's look at that. The value God places on us in the parable of the lost sheep. It's in Luke chapter 15, if you want to follow along. And I think the words will come up on the screen as well. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Now I wonder, do you remember the last time you lost something? There are some things we lose and it's like, no big deal, is it? But others get your heart rate up even when you think about it. I remember being abroad in Israel and getting the train to the airport to fly home, only to realize I left my passport, my wallet, my plane ticket, my phone on the train. Not good, especially considering Israeli security. And so I'm thinking, what do I do? Slightly bewildered. And I go to the station help desk. And amazingly, they're able to phone the train, find my stuff, locate it, put it on the train coming back the other way and get it in time for me to catch my flight. No worries. Never bothered. It was going to be fine. But seriously, the value of those items was so high for me in that moment. They were literally my ticket home, and I was super happy to get them back. And in this parable, the first one, we see the shepherd, and he's representing God, and he's placing great value on the one sheep that he's lost. You know, in economic terms or mathematical terms, maybe that doesn't quite make sense, though, does it? You know, think about losing perhaps 1% of your savings, that's going to be pretty bad, but the 99% you still have is going to be consolation enough. And all of us here today, if we get 99% in an exam, we're going to be like, yeah, that's, that's great, actually. But in this story, it's the value of every single sheep that counts to the shepherd because of the value he places on the one. You know, think about it another way. There's a school trip and 219 kids go off for the day. The coach rolls in at 4 p.m. and the teacher says to the parents, yep, it's been a good day. We've got 218 of the kids back. You know, strong effort by our team. Who wants to sign up to the trip to the zoo next week? You know, it's unthinkable, isn't it? We know, don't we, that each child has such incredible worth. So the cumulative total, you know, 100, 1,000, a million, it doesn't make a difference to the value of every single one. And in the parable, the high value of the one is seen in the in the way the shepherd responds. He doesn't send someone else to find his lost sheep, he goes himself. And when he finds the missing sheep, he doesn't treat it harshly, you know, tie it up and drag it back. He puts it on his own shoulders, close to his heart, and carries it home. And Jesus tells us this story because he wants us to understand. He wants us to know that this is how God feels about us right now. We're so valuable to him. Wherever you feel you are right now in relation to God, he loves you so much. You're so valuable to him. If you feel lost at the moment or you've messed up in a really big way, God still loves you. You're so valuable to him. If perhaps you feel like you've taken a few knocks, you're going through a difficult season, God still loves you. You are so valuable to him. If you feel like you're hanging on to your faith or it's drifting away altogether, God still loves you. You're so valuable to him. It reminds me of Jess's story. You know, she said, however far, however many times she ran away from God, he never stopped loving her and pursuing her. And when Jess got to university, she turned her back on God completely, deciding he just doesn't exist. But before she went to Germany as part of her studies, a Christian friend offered her a book called The Case for Christ. She said, no, thank you. But then after moving abroad, she decided to check out a church small group just out of curiosity. And on the first week she goes, of course, there's the table, the case for Christ. And she's prompted to read it. And that begins her journey back to faith. Then a little later, uh, she's on a bus journey. And she finds herself asking the question, who do I thank for all the amazing things in my life? And as she ponders that question on the bus, as she gets off the bus, the driver gives her a piece of paper that says at the top of it, do you know Jesus? And he's written out some Bible verses for her. Isn't it amazing? God was passionately pursuing her. And that was the moment Jess knew God was real. And now she, along with her husband Luke, they lead teams here that go out into the market square, go into the city center, just sharing that same love of Jesus with our city, just like the bus driver did with her. You know, that's the value that God places on each and every one of us. But secondly, moving moving on, the search God makes for for us. Let's see that in the parable of the 10 coins, picking up at verse 8 of Luke 15. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I remember um, sitting over that side of the room somewhere soon after I got married. And it was in the days when I was getting used to my wedding ring and I was always fiddling with it and playing with it, much like I'm probably doing right now. And um, during a very quiet moment in the service, I was doing this and it kind of got stuck on my joint of my finger and I pulled it and it just pinged off and flew away. And it hit one of the chair legs and made this really loud noise in this moment of silence. And I remember everyone looking at me, including my wife Lizzie, like, what are you doing and what are you going to do about this? So I'm down in amongst the chairs immediately knowing I need to find this straight away. And thankfully, after not too long, I did. But if you've ever lost a ring or a house key or everything that's useful on the way to an airport, you know there's like a focusing of the mind, isn't there? Everything else fades away because the searching of that thing that's lost, it becomes top priority. And in this parable, the woman who represents God, do you notice how proactive she is in her search? You know, she lights a lamp, she sweeps the whole house, she's searching carefully. And in the same way, Jesus wants us to realize that God will go to great lengths to find people, searching actively, intensely for those who are lost to him, because he loves them so much. And Jesus didn't only tell us this as a nice story, He demonstrated it, he modelled it in his own life. Jesus said of himself, my purpose is to seek and save that which is lost. And he showed it by spending time with those who are most obviously far from God. You know, the sinners, the outcasts, the broken, the oppressed, helping them find their way back to him. And he reached out to those who were lost in other ways too, whether it was through their pride or hypocrisy or their greed. While his words to them might have been more challenging and confrontational, his heart was the same, to reach out to those who were lost and to bring them home. And finally, Jesus demonstrates the great lengths God will go to find us through giving his own life on the cross so that anyone who's lost might find that restoration and come home. And I never get tired of hearing stories that demonstrate this. You know, I think of my friend Tom and, and, and his story, he'd been in, in a really bad place for a long time. He started looking for God in different places, different spiritual things. And then he booked a holiday um, to, I think it was Magaluf, just to get away from everything. And on the first night of his holiday, he's walking back in the early hours, just to, totally drunk. And a gang robs him at knife point, and they take his shoes. And as the gang left, a, a Christian guy who'd seen what had happened... He went over to Tom and and talked to him and prayed for him. And then he gave him his own shoes to go home to to the hotel. On the way back, he was met by some street pastors who prayed for him and helped him too. So he comes back to the UK and Tom is, is still searching. And he meets like a street preacher in Market Square. And the preacher said to Tom, you know, if you die tonight, do you know what would happen? And Tom said immediately, I know I'd go straight to hell. And the preacher said to him, that doesn't need to be your story. If you call out to Jesus, if you call on his name, he will save you. A few days later, Tom is in the bath um, at Rock Bottom and he's thinking of taking his own life. And he remembers the street preacher's words and he cries out, Jesus, save me. And immediately the whole bathroom is filled with God's presence. Tom goes from weeping in sadness to suddenly, he can't explain it, an unexplainable joy, and he's laughing as God's Holy Spirit comes into his life and touches his heart. A few days later, I was standing in Market Square with a friend, and we're doing this Jesus at the door thing with a little card, Jesus knocking on the door of people's hearts, and that's where we see Tom walking along with his headphones in, and for some reason, he stops, and he sees this card, and we have this conversation about Jesus with him, and right there and then, he opens his heart to Jesus, And invites Jesus into his life with us in Market Square. And then we prayed for him to feel God's presence. And as we do, I remember him saying, it's just like when I was in the bathroom, having the bath. And I was like, what does that even mean? But that was the moment. You know, the two things were the same. God was passionately pursuing Tom, seeking for him, finding that he was coming home. So that's God's search for us. But what about finally the joy God has in finding us? Let's look at that. In the parable of the lost son, carries on in verse 11 of Luke 15. Jesus continued There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, And say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, there are so many things in that amazing story, aren't there? The son's rejection of his father, all the way through to the moment of repentance when he sets off home the father's heart of compassion, always looking and longing for his son's return. And this parable, like the other two, it ends on this huge note of celebration, this giant party. And I wonder, you know, think about a great party you've been to. I remember for me, my brother and I were in Sixth form when it was like the millennium, year 2000. And somehow we persuaded my parents to let us have a party in their house, the, the, like the big school party. And it was massive. There was like hundreds of people everywhere, in the house, in the garden, in the street. And when it got to midnight, I remember looking across at my f- friend and she was shaking like this champagne bottle in our newly decorated lounge. And the countdown was like 10, 9, and she's shaking it hard in her 10, 9, 8, 7. I'm like, oh no, no, this is not good. And of course, like it pops open and it just goes everywhere in the lounge, which was thankfully painted like an off-white champagne colour. And for some reason it didn't stain at all, which was a a miracle. But like the best moment in the best party you've ever been to. Think about that. That's the kind of thing I think Jesus is getting at here. The robe, the ring, the sandals, the fattened calf, they might not say P-A-R-T-Y to us, but they did to those back then. He used them to communicate the joy the celebration God has for you and I when we come home. And 3 weeks ago if you were here we baptized 50 people in our brand new baptism hot tubs. And if you were there I don't know about you but it felt like this. Just such a celebration. You know it felt like God's joy over every single person getting baptized and really across the whole room was just palpable. And then there was that song wasn't there the blessing thing at the end and that was just it was just too much for me. It was amazing. You know, one of the candidates was called Innes, and she shared a little bit about her experience. She said, I honestly feel like my baptism was the best day of my life. The moment I came out of the water, there wasn't a hint of nerves or fear. In fact, I've never felt so free. With unexplainable joy and so much peace and warmth and love, I keep telling my friends it's just like I've got married. And here's a clip, actually, of Innes taking the plunge. Innes, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Brilliant. I love how Innes almost took out John Bodley there as well, <laughs> in her excitement. But in all, these theory, in all these stories, we've seen the value God places on us, the search He makes for us, and the joy He has in finding us. So, how are we to respond? Well, perhaps for some of you, you've never made that step of asking Jesus into your life and come home. Perhaps you're here with a friend or here for the first time or joining online. And we would love to invite you to do that today. A little bit later, we'll make space for that. We'll pray together and you can join in with that prayer if you'd like to. For others of you, perhaps you've been following Jesus for a long time. But you know that these kind of truths, for whatever reason, they've become perhaps a little bit distant or dull in your heart. And if that's you, we'd love to invite you to come and and receive prayer for someone to pray for you, for the Holy Spirit, just to, to refresh that in you again. And finally, I think there's an invitation for us in all of these stories, and it's for us to join in with God's passionate pursuit of people. Because if we experience his love for us, and if we carry his love in us, then that love will also work through us. His passionate pursuit will become our passionate pursuit as well. One of the early Christian leaders, the Apostle Paul, put it this way, if we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. A few verses later, Paul describes himself as God's co-worker, God's ambassador. He's experienced God's passionate pursuit and radical love in his own life and it's propelling him to share it with others. I don't think it's like God needs us. But I do believe he wants to include us in this great mission. We're called to value people like he does. And we're called to search intently for people like he does too. And we're called to celebrate big when people come home. And isn't it incredible, we've been called to share in this amazing privilege and burden, each one of us. We've been entrusted with this come home message that God gives us. We've each been given a unique role and part to play. So I wonder for you, Who is the next person that God wants to find through you? Who is that next person that God wants to find through you? Could it be the person that hasn't been to your small group for ages, and maybe even today you could just give them a text? Maybe it's your neighbor who you often say hello to, but you you just feel maybe there's a conversation there about God that you could have. Could it be a work colleague who you know is having a hard time, and you could just offer to pray for them? Could it be that same friend or family member that always comes to your mind, when you think about sharing your faith. Could it be a person you've not met before, you know, on the tram, at the supermarket, wherever that might might be this week? Whoever it is, thankfully the pressure is, is really not on us. It's the Lord who is leading the way and we just need to make ourselves available to him. And, you know, however big we become as a church, let's never forget this, let's never delegate our part to play in this. However much we might rejoice, and rightly so, in being found, let's never forget those who've yet to come home. Let's make room in our hearts to pray for them. Let's give time in our lives to be interrupted. Let's step step out in courage to share our faith, to invite people, to do life with them. Let's take every opportunity to join in with God's passionate pursuit.